Hello, this is Anton. You're listening to On Resistance Radio. Uh, we are a horizontal media collective from Los Angeles. Today, we are going to be discussing abolishing the police and what that looks like. Does anyone want to go ahead and get started? My name's Esho. The first question that pops in my mind when talking about this is, is it possible to abolish police inside of a police state where every um, part of our life there are police officers or security? Um, is it possible? Um, I guess before getting into that, I guess, hi, my name's Bobby. Just talking about like the kind of state of the police right now, um, you have so much going on where Bill Clinton just said that, you know, LAPD is like, one of the best examples of like police departments and you know they should be looked at as like sort of like the shining hope of like for law enforcement <laughs> and then you have in like New York where you have like the police officers declaring war on like both the local administration for the mayor's office and the protesters black community itself there's like both like the charade of what the police are supposed to be but then i think the reality of the what they really are is showing Hey, it's J-Ray. I think to seriously think or imagine a world without policing and the the violence as a punishment as a punishment system, um, we have to really think about like how to make people feel safe. Um, because I think a lot of people have this really well nurtured reliance on the police, which is really just an unhealthy and abusive relationship. But people with privilege or with property or with capital, it's not that abusive for them. The policing system serves particular communities while making casualties of communities of color. We have to think about how to make people of color specifically feel safe and give alternatives to the police. I think people get afraid when hearing the word abolish, abolishing the police. I think living in a society where police are so much a part of our culture and who we are and what people know to like as a social safety net. We as a society, when talking about abolishing the police, is more so like wean weaning ourselves off of like a drug. How do you wean yourself off of a drug and you start getting like lower and lower doses of it? So when I think about um, abolishing the police, it's um, controlling and focusing on their funding um, where their money's coming from and how they're spending their money. A world without police is um, redirecting their training because they're here, so we have to figure out how to deal with them while they still exist. Like, no more weapon buying inside of America from domestic police officers ever again. And just stop that. So these are, like, some practical things. I use the word practical lightly, knowing that our structure and our system It's not going to just allow us to defund the police. It's not going to allow us just to abolish. Um, But these are some things I think. This is Anton. There are some practical or like pragmatic or egalitarian things that you could apply to what the police are. But at the same time, as soon as you bring those up, like (laughs) this is some practical thing you could do and it would help curb police violence. You know, people are like, oh, no, no, you know, you can't can't mess with the police you know at all it's like that like even just a practical like reasonable thing defunding or some sort of reform it still like incites this sort of reaction in people that it's like wrong or unjust to limit police 
control or mm-hmm. funding in any way, or, like mess with their money at all. So that's still like a mindset I think in people is that police like are well deserving of their funding and need money and stuff. Um, you show them, Bobby. I do absolutely believe that we can have a world without police officers. I just don't think it's going to happen overnight or just with the flipping of like someone signing like new legislation in. For me, it's like how like do we get there? I think more so is like accountability is the first thing. It's just us as a society, we have to find a way to hold police officers accountable for their behavior. So I feel like we have to get police officers in check first. We have to get them like, hey, you need to stop everything you're doing and start redirecting our energy that way. And then we'll get like one step closer. Um, yes, I think it's possible in the same way that I think that it is possible for us to have revolution. But... I think that it is necessary for us to be fighting all forms of hierarchy and understand the police as the military for, you know, the establishment in which uh, we are resisting against. Mm -hmm. And so as the domestic military, you know, it's the same as, you know, the military abroad, like the military abroad. And um, just like the people in Iraq, you know, can't just like create petitions or like policy or you know like push for like you know institutional changes of like the u.s um, military that's occupying them like i feel like it's difficult for us to expect to do the same with the police department here on a, a domestic front um and so i feel like what we can work towards is having like autonomous communities that are working towards like um you know, situations where we're working where we don't necessarily, like, in places where you would need the police, like, um, to actually, like, do what we give them the power to do, um, create other systems to be able to kind of substitute that. But also just understanding, like, the role of the police and why the police do exist, which is, like, in my opinion, to protect capital and to uh, criminalize black people. And so... um I think that's why any conversation about abolishing the police has to have an intersectional perspective understanding, like, why the police were created and, like, who they oppress the most, which is black people. I've seen a lot of practices and attempts to meet the needs of communities without police. But so far, it's only been kind of reserved for movement or activist communities, where activist communities will say, like, we're not going to use the police in cases of sexual assault or domestic abuse or violence. You know, we're going to be committed to de-escalating and intervening and teaching ourselves crisis intervention so that we don't have to rely on the police. But I haven't seen that work kind of branch out into what people would consider non-activist communities, like non-openly declared activist communities. And so I'm more interested in, like, how do we make that a more realistic goal for people who are impoverished, for people who might not have that support network already, uh, for people who might not feel comfortable reaching out to that support network, um, and communities who already don't feel comfortable reaching out to the police. So I think that it's definitely possible. I think one of the biggest hindrances to empowering those alternatives is a lack of resources and a lack of space because of capitalism. And also the police approach situations of violence or situations of trauma with more violence and more trauma. And so for people who don't want to replicate, it's not that we want another group to do policing. 
Like we want alternative methods to like meet these needs and to prevent these cycles of violence without using authoritarian violence ourselves. So I feel like it, that's also traumatizing work. Crisis intervention can be really traumatizing work. So it's it affects our mental health. So how do we like sustainably and emotionally create these alternatives without hurting ourselves and creating an actual responsible network to do that? People want to address police brutality and police executions, but getting rid of brutality and execution will still leave the role of the police pretty much fundamentally intact. I don't want good cops. I don't want <clears throat> cops that are not brutal that will just continue ticketing and imprisoning people because imprisonment is still a form of violence. And what goes on behind the closed doors in for-profit prison rape culture is just as violent as if they're going to be doing that in the street. So this idea that we can just debrutalize the cops and make them better public servants, I think, does more to restore legitimacy to the cops. And I think what we're seeing right now is a really large opportunity to delegitimize the police. I think we can have both communities becoming becoming self-reliant and learning like de-escalation skills, like crisis intervention, uh, how to support specific T's inside of the community. At the same time, I think we can keep police officers in check. Bobby? Um, yeah, I feel like, because um, I wonder how are we going to have, um, how are we going to enforce it, to me is the question, because how are we going to get for the police to, like, so say if the plan was to um, defund the police, right? How are we, are we going to, right now the system in which we have, we would have to, like, urge our legislators um, to, you know, like, vote to, like, not, you know, put so much for the police in their budget. But then also you have such a private entities that are in control of the police, too, like private company or private individuals or companies are playing for, you know, LAPD to go to Israel and, um, and for other law, local law enforcement to do the same thing. So even if we publicly fund it, then how do we handle, like, the private funding? And so then my question is, is, like, when we talk about these things, of like what we want the police to do is like what what actually are we going to do to make the police do that like um because i don't really um i have no faith in our current system um and so because i have no faith in that current system to me the only thing i see is to try to um, no longer have that system exist so yeah yeah, I don't think there will be any solution other than the removal of the police system as it currently stands because the police system as it currently stands is doing nothing but what the police system currently does. What are some ways to limit police street control and street violence and stuff? I don't think any of these things are going to be easy. I don't think that any route that we as a group of people or as a unit of people try to do is not going is all of it's going to be met with opposition. And there are different levels of what the opposition is going to look like. There are also people who are writing letters to like these legislators. And it would be great if these people who are writing these letters to legislators are framing their letters, practical things you can get done. I would like to encourage you to write about this, opposed to saying, like, don't write these letters, because it's happening. There is like this culture of people who are into like legislative change because that's going to be all of these levels. It would be great if instead of saying like 
this shouldn't be done and this shouldn't be done. All of these things be done in helping the people type way. Because yeah. I'm not opposed to legislation change. I want to abolish our current structure and our systems of power. Legislative change that's going to make my life a little bit more easier. I'm okay with anything that's going to take off that, take some more pressure so people can breathe. I understand why there are efforts to manipulate the legal system that currently exists to reduce harm. My concern is that usually it doesn't reduce harm. The Prop 47 that just passed, I think, is a good example of it reducing some harm and and actually changing some sentences and people are actually going to get released earlier. And it kind of clarifies a bigger emphasis on how many people are imprisoned for nonviolent crimes, which I think is hugely important. But it also draws lines between what is crime that's deserving of compassion and it kind of it the prison system puts the blame on people for the structure and the conditions that cause desperation and cause those decisions to be made so-called crimes against capitalism theft so-called crimes of survival and, and drug use which is like we talked about on our last show a coping mechanism to deal with this messed up system that then is punished but the people benefiting from it are not being punished, right? The government moving it or dropping it is not being punished. So I'm just worried about the amount of effort and organizing that goes into legislative change. It's not that I would stop it from happening because I don't have the power. I literally, my problem is I don't have the power to stop the laws. They keep on changing. They keep on giving enforcement power. It's the amount of effort that the focus of every movement ends up being co-opted into focusing on Radical actions that happen in the street, direct actions for autonomous communities, those have always been happening and keep consistently getting erased and keep consistently being kind of profited off of to support the political process that exists. I'm just afraid that people want to reform the police to save the police. So I'm kind of, you know, I can't stop the legislative change. I just want to refocus because if we refocus on autonomous community building, they will give us legislative change. But I think the focus has to be on decreasing reliance, like X says, decruiting yourself from the method of thinking that the, the government or that structure or that legal structure will, in the end, be the solution. And then we've seen reform happen in L.A. We've seen, I think, if we push back against legislative change, we'll see more legislative change and we'll see more community involvement. This body cam thing has been talked about for two, three years, really popular like, and didn't get any legislative lip service until the Ferguson uprising. And then as soon as it got lip service, now we find out, oh, the footage isn't going to be available to the public. The footage will only be available in the courts if the prosecutor deems that it can be available in the court. Fine print everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they can turn it off like... That's what also happened is, like, you have police officers who just turn the cameras off. Um, I think, for me, um, back to the, like, question of, like, um, abolishing the police, I think that, um, like, if we look, if we think of the police, you know, like, if you think of police as just officers, individuals, and bodies, then that's one thing, right? Then we also have, like, drones, and then we also have, like, uh, the police state, you know, so who's, like, monitoring and surveilling your online or your any sort of, like, use you, you any sort of interaction you have with technology. 
Um, and then we just have like also like private police, right? Like, and then we have like the police mentality, right? Like your neighbors watching you and seeing like if you're doing something you're not supposed to do. And so, um, so to me, when we talk about like abolishing the police, it's also sort of like talking about abolishing this sort of like authoritarian like idea we have about how society should be ran and who has authority over it. Um, because like, you know, in Occupy, sorry to bring it up, but like mm-hmm. I think it's interesting though. It's like immediately there was like security, right? And, all, and there was like a security committee and the security committee had no authority. You know, who gave them authority? They just like popped out. I didn't give them authority. But they walked around with their little vests and they started to replicate and act like the police. Same thing happens on marches, right? When you have peace police. Whenever um, people get permits, then they take it on themselves to actually do the policing for you. That's what we saw happen at the Millions March LA last Saturday was you start to see people say, get off the sidewalks, you gotta do that. And they get all, you know, ego trip and stuff like that. And, you know, and these individuals who are actually police officers in the uniform, like they've been, they've been existing without, like with, like with impunity, you know? So when you think of like what sort of like mentality one society has to give that much power to an individual, but what that individual then goes through, then it's like, it's the same way when soldiers come back from war, you know? And they still act as if, like, you know, they're over to wherever place they were, like, fighting. You know, they still have that sort of, like, mentality that this is their domain. And so, like, it's so layered that I feel like our approach to it is going to be layered. It's just, like, the difference between prison abolition and open revolt, which is, like, bring the walls down and stuff (laughs) like that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, free the prisoners and stuff, you know. But I guess my understanding from the topic was that it's more like the prison abolition. Maybe there's like work movement towards there and then that movement can become like the open revolt. So I guess my question is like, what comes first? Prison abolition or the open revolt? Because they both happen simultaneously, right? But what is the spark that leads to the other or vice versa? I think they both probably happen at the same time. I feel... It happens simultaneously because I think revolt isn't this end goal. We practice it. I encourage people to practice it. Practice, learn, fail, whatever fail. You know, I've completely had to reimagine what my idea of failure even means or success even means because success under capitalism, under the hierarchy, means getting recognition. And the state will never recognize something that threatens its its existence. existence. So... Recognition is not success, you know, so like just attempt and attempt and attempt and practice. I feel like with Prop 47 passing. Is that the prison one? That's the one that oh. reduced sentences to misdemeanors Okay. Uh, on nonviolent offenses or thefts under $950. But you have to apply. So people weren't just released from the prisons because the bureaucracy will never do that. You have to fill out some paper. Or like, no, first you have to know. So there's always this access barriers. But um, when they pass that, they're releasing all these people and they're hoping that crime rises so that they can say this was a bad idea. Like, this is why we need to keep locking people up. This is why incarceration works. So even when they give us reform, the state has like a backdoor strategy to like make sure that like their authoritarian power isn't ever really threatened, that they can manipulate the outcome to serve them in the end. So 
with those people coming out, I feel like prison abolition, our goal as people who support prison abolition, should be to create an infrastructure to support those communities that are coming out to transition from prison culture or to, you know, whatever healing looks like for people because it looks differently. And then as we create that infrastructure, just like talking about what does it mean to general strike? What does it mean to withdraw from the economy? Creating this infrastructure, sharing resources, creating autonomous communities so that we're less reliant on the state. And then when we take action against the state, you know, we'll have something to fall back on rather than being isolated and just individuals that are, are being made to be just individuals. But I also have been really thinking that a good way to abolish prisons would be to abolish the police or to at least abolish the police in their current function. Because I think, as Bobby said, some the police, some some body of like armed militant, I don't want to use the word militant because I don't want to give them that, but like an armed authoritarian body is going to fight the revolution. Like that's just what it's going to be. So, but in terms of like police coming uninvited, because you don't have to call the police for them to show up. They're on beat. They're on patrol. They're like hunting. You know, they're sharks. They criminalize. They splash criminalization on anybody in their path. And they Some will... sharks are really sweet. I know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes we can't call them pigs. They're they gotta gangs. Get I know. They are gangs. <laughs> no, they, they are. are. No, they, the do police... what you, they do what you just described. They but, but if we can't just tear down the walls because we got to change the culture to decrease crime, which is increased resources to people, but we can stem the flow of human capital to the prisons. And if we can find a way to obstruct and stop the police's role in targeting communities, we can starve them from filling the prison. So if we want to talk about pr- prison abolition, we got to talk about prison prevention. And I feel like targeting the police and even talking about the language of like harassing the police, like not affirming the police. I haven't really explored it, but I think that's a good method to work towards prison abolition. Mm-hmm. Did you want to say that? Um, I think the thing about, uh, like, to me, I understand liberalism as, like, um, feeling sort of, like, bad about something. But at the same time, like, you know, it doesn't directly affect you and you actually, like, necessarily, like, benefit from it. So it's like you can be sympathetic to it, but you can't really be empathetic to it. And so, like... I say that because, like, I feel like revolt is what pushes, like, um, abolishing anything or changing anything because I think that it takes for people to be uncomfortable for them to, like, actually do what's necessary that's going to push for change, you know? Like, the reason why we're seeing people on the streets is because, like, um, so many people are, like, being exposed to, like, the fact that, you know, um, that the police are, like, starting to kill more people, you know, and, like, with the sort of, like, film culture or just social media in general, uh, we're hearing more about it. And so I think that, like, the police also um, are obtaining more powers and we're just seeing, like, different systems of the government fail. And I think because of that, um, people are revolting more. And I I see revolt as more just, like, our, each battle, you know? So, like, last night people went on the one uh the 110 freeway, you know, that was a revolt. Um, and, like, you know, the, there's also the, like, micro-individual revolts, right? Like, you went to work and dealt with your oppressive boss, you know. But on, like, the macro I'm level... you stole something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but, like, on a macro level, like, uh, I, I see revolts as every time we have uprisings in the streets. And so I feel like that that pushes and urges us to do more. And the more we're comfortable, the less we're going to do that. So, you know, the more that, you know, the police are just, like, sort of, like, you know, 
just like paroling you and maybe only giving you tickets instead of like shooting you and threatening you, the less likely you're going to want to abolish them. Um, and so I think that, yeah. So just to answer that question. For a lot of people who are light skinned in America, when something bad happens to you or when you do something bad, justice is served because everything, all the conditions are there for them to, you know, serve justice to you. You know, you are exactly who they are expecting to serve justice to. People's perception of police and morals and the law and stuff is like really, really backwards, I think, right now. Um, And it's not, you know, it's crime when a black person does it. But if it's like a white person, then it's not even, it's not even registered. It doesn't even register to people that that's even like a thing. Like white people stealing cars, quote unquote, like violent crime still includes like crime against property because that's still considered like violent, I guess. So if you like break something or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Or destroyed, like, if somebody's If it's, like, house. over well, a certain think, amount. I think it depends considered. on the context of where you break. So if you break something inside of, like, Walmart, oh, Walmart, the cops might shoot. <laughs> Anything to change the immediate fear and violence culture that involves the police, which they're just this, like, official violating force. They're, in terms of goals when it comes to police... I rarely even hear now I hear talks of police reform, but before police reform is like something you get like once every 10 years, maybe like not something that's really made that accessible. So now to have the dialogue change so much, you can see the disconnect when you're in the streets. People are yelling at the cops and they're saying, like, we don't need you. We know you don't meet our needs. You know, they're yelling at the cops. I mean, this person was like, you're probably KKK. You're probably KKK. You're probably KKK. They still serve the same interests as white supremacy. And then to see people chanting abolish the police in the streets. And then by the time that rhetoric gets put into articles or onto news radio stations or onto the mainstream news, there's no mention of abolishing the police. So just to see where the focus in the popular movement building, like where it does lie, whether it's a practical or reasonable goal or not, it's empowering to talk about police abolition, trying to just reframe the dialogue. Anything the police do, we can do better. Whatever function or goal people want to restore in the police or they think the police should serve, any person, any people, any group could do that could meet those needs without all the baggage and bureaucracy and violence. In the end, I feel like they have too much power, and there's this huge mythos of them being invincible and untouchable, and I feel like they're just an organization. Like, they're an organization of people that is structured in a hierarchy that has a very clear bureaucracy, and any organization can be delegitimized and changed. So, like, police are scary, and they're this, like, they have this terrible terrorist function, but <laughs> they're an organization, and organizations can be abolished. Yes, police are an organization, but they're also a very heavily like weaponized organization. When I think of capitalism, the three people that benefit off militarized local police, and which is like it's not just America's which police are becoming militarized. We're now starting to see it around the world, and that's just you know because people are making money off selling like old weapons off to these local police officers. So when we think of like Russia, Israel. And America, which are the three largest weapons manufacturer, I think we also need to talk about like the military industrial complex and stopping that, <laughs> you know, because we're still having weapons being made. You know, we could talk about how like it's still going to go, you know, and the um, 
Like, it's still going to go, like, be sold underground. And so my whole thing is, like, back to, like, the practical application of things. Like, how do we stop people when they already have the weapons? How do we get the weapons from them? And how do you fight against people with weapons like that? You know, how do you take away someone who has, like, a large arsenal? How do you fight against that like how do you like take their weapons like practically like how do we take their weapons like do we walk door to door and say well hey this is the new law um you have to give us all your weapons because like isn't there saying like with my like cold dead hands or something like that you would have to pry it oh who said that that one actor said it at an nra speech and so it's like um charleston huston and so like you know like how i just want to know how we're going to do it like you know and what does that look like and i feel like it's going to look like i feel like it looks complicated and so I'm not saying, like, it can't be done, but I just think the complicated part to me is one that, like, I'm still myself unclear what it looks like. So, um, yes, I want all these things to happen. Um, I guess I just want to start knowing, like, how. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I feel like I just have, like, like, I have, like, an awareness of, like, being, like, well, if I'm walking somewhere, like, I have this understanding that, police could just like easily hurt me you know or just like do something crazy you know and like just having that understanding is very strange because like i guess so many people like don't really (laughs) just don't believe that at all like oh you're you're paranoid (laughs) you know like but it's you know that's the way it is for most people in america you know and so weapons i guess like one thing that hollywood has taught me about weapons is that lots of police have other weapons that is you know what i mean like they have their weapons those are the police weapons and then they go home they have more weapons and those are just their those are their weapons you know so that's kind of scary the police mentality in my opinion stems specifically from the feeling or the emotion that you get from like having a weapon at your side pretty much at 24 hours a day you know and then you know there's this like turn in your badge and your weapon right because you're not a police officer anymore so you no longer can use the weapon that the state gave you to beat to police people you know uh these two weapons your badge and your gun but at, you know at the end of the day they still do have their guns you know and like the nature of prison abolition and this like sort of open revolt or like anti-police prison rhetoric mentality is like the key to both of them I think is like a cultural shift or like a like a mental thing because I think it has more to do with like the actual like like the like the mental state you know like the policing like I'm going to police you you know because there's like the police and then like the woman was chanting like also there's the KKK and the KKK is also the police at the same time and so Like, you know, so there's, you know, we're not just dealing with the police, right? Because, like, you could say all the time that there's, like, good, there's, like, these good police officers, you know, and there's these, like, you know, there's these good cop, bad cop thing, you know. Um, And then you say that, but then the two police officers who were killed in New York City just happen to be two cops of color, you know. Um, I find that really interesting, you know, even in... There was a black cop who got shot by a white cop, right? Like, while the black cop was off duty. So there's that, too. You know, there's, like, there, there's that race stuff going on within the police. And so I don't think that it is just necessarily the police that we're dealing with. I think it's also, like, whoever the police mental state hang out with, you know? Yeah, police hang out with who are they talking to and what are they talking about. And Yeah, you know. I think about that, too. The mental state is really... Um 
I think changing people's like idea of what like being a police officer. We first, I think, is you know one of the things we could focus on is getting people to stop wanting to be police officers. <laughs> yes. If we could just get that to happen, then all these other things just start happening. Then we have to just start waiting till these other officers start getting old and like you know, like nature taking its course and them dying off and stuff. You know, like. But until then, you know, like people actually have this mental like people want to be police officers. Outside of LAPD, for um, Isel Ford. There was this little this woman out there with her son. Um, mm. This are and they are of black skin. And the son was talking about how he wants to be a police officer. And this is at uh, anti police brutality like speak out a front of LAPD's office. And his mother was telling like was communicating. My son wants to be a police officer, and I don't want him to be one. But if he wants to, it's okay. And I think that needs to change too. You know <laughs> when. Kids tell their mothers they're going to off to war. Most mothers, depending on the culture in which you're from, is going to say, "Hey, don't join the army. Don't join the military." That should be the same start, that same culture of, "Hey, don't join the police officers. Don't become a police person." And once that starts to be uncool, then I think we'll start to see other things as well. But I think it has a lot to do with like people's like perception. It's still these internalized things that people have uh, when it comes to like superiority hierarchy like race gender class that's so deeply in our minds that we're perpetuating them in whatever work atmosphere you're in so i do think that revolt also is that personal revolt of like that individual revolt that you need to go through of questioning these things why are you afraid of this this person why are you talking to this woman this way um x y and z i think also like resisting against uh, just like the police mentality too is like is like really going after bully culture. Police officers are just like grown up bullies, you know. It was interesting because I know LAPD was working on a campaign against uh, like one of those like anti bullying campaign, which is like you know, and they're speaking to like youth about like you know not bullying when it's like <laughs> you know what else are you doing other than harassing and bullying people on the street, you know the poor person sitting on the sidewalk and you go up and you're like, hey, what are you doing? You know, it's like, it's just like total macho bully behavior. Um, I'm bigger than you. Yeah. And so like, I feel like sort of at like a young age challenging that. And then also like, you know, not allowing them into classrooms because I think like mm. kids at a young age, you know, like the reason why they want to be cops is because it's part of what we're taught that cops are good. Um, we see most of the TV shows on TV right now are about cops. Um, cops are very humanized, but, like, criminals are not, you know. And so, like, we're always, you know, taught to, like, you know, support. Just like we're taught to support your troops, we're taught to support cops. Like, when the, the two police officers were um, allegedly killed by that one one black man in New York, the mayor was like, you know, the whole city is mourning. And, you know, it's this whole mentality that, you know, you know two cops' lives you know, matter much more than the fact of, like, why there was such unrest going on in your city in the first place, you know, is that they are valued more. They're also paid very well, you know. Um, LAPD are paid very, very well. And so so someone who, like, doesn't have too many opportunities, you might get paid lots of money, you become a kind of officer, and the same reason why people usually sign up for uh, to go to fight war. And I feel like the reason why you don't have mothers, you know, or fathers telling their um kids to go off to wars because they're getting killed um so yeah i feel like there's a sort of protection plus 
privilege you get being a police officer. You get to do whatever the heck you want. <laughs> you know, you get to do whatever you want and get away with it. You get to, you kill someone. You're not going to do anything. You get paid vacation. You become rich. You can like make a painting. You become a millionaire. You become a millionaire. You know, like what incentive is it not to be a cop? And that's why the most bigoted fucking people become police officers because you can kill black people and get away with it. You know, you can kill people of color and get away with it. It's basically a one-sided war where one side (laughs) can use as much violence. (laughs) One side can use as much violence as as they want, and the other side can't do any. Can't even twitch or like non-comply in like one way, or they'll be executed or imprisoned. That's. I mean, it is a war. It's just not like there's no like two opposing. One side doesn't know. One side can't fight back. (laughs) And it's also and it's also like once there's also the side generationally you've been in war to a point where it's more of the uh, adapting human beings will be adapt to our environment right that's what makes human beings us we adapt to environments whether they're cold hot and our bodies like change depending upon the um, atmosphere and the environment so if you're always in an environment of oppression and violence it starts to be a part of your culture it starts to be a part of just living. So like those who've always had to resist, it's just a part of who we are to a point where it's, I don't think of it being war when I go out on the street and police officers are taught that there's a war on the street. So I think that's teaching people that, Hey, we're, there's a, there's a war going on. There's been a war. It's race, class, gender, spiritual. It's all these wars that are happening, psychological that are happening so consistently that we don't even process and the reason i say that is million march la we ended in the jewish community the march ended in the jewish community and i thought just about the psychological implications of a predominantly black march marching to uh, a jewish community you know i don't know psychologically what that that does Mm -hmm. so if people understand that there is a war that is going on on so many different levels We'll question these things when we go to here. Why are we going to City Hall? Why are we going to the uh, police station protesting there and then everyone going home and feeling the soul that's in power? Psychologically, what is that doing? It's, we're in a consensus state of war. Thank you for listening to On Resistance. Feel free to catch our full show online at soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. Also, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, on Tumblr, Instagram on resistance all right well thank you guys again and um happy new year stay fresh Flashing. light 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 light